Hello, everybody. Welcome to a Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot. We are sitting outside now at the Airbnb. Um, this is becoming like our podcast listeners are getting to know this Airbnb very well. Um, Ashley Bastock is going to be on the pod today. She's going to talk to Lance Reisland in the second half of the podcast about uh, what he saw on the Broncos film. So, and Ashley gets that gets to answer the Lance question today at the end. So good luck to her as she takes that on. Um, Because it's always challenging, Mary Kay. The questions he comes up with, he takes them very seriously, and they're always really good. And are these the ones about, like, the Thanksgiving? Yeah, the sides. The sides. Favorite sports movie. Like, yeah, so it's it's a challenge, and And it springs it on you. And you don't have a heads up, right? No. No. Okay. No heads up. It's great. All All right. right. Here's what we're going to do. So we're in L.A., obviously, and the Browns are in L.A. I'm just going to keep it simple. Why are the Browns in L.A.? Well, they had three West Coast trips this year, and they were hoping that two of them would be back-to-back so that they could do just what they are doing right now. They flew out to Denver. They, unfortunately for them, lost to the Broncos, going 1-6 and six in Denver since 1999. Then, uh, then they moved the whole operation. They flew everybody out here to L.A. so that they didn't have to fly all the way back home and come back out again. It's a little bit of a boondoggle because, really, truthfully, it's not that hard to fly home from Denver. No. And then just fly out to L.A. I mean, think about this. The California teams do it all the time. The Seahawks do it all the time, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it can be done. But this was just an, you know, another way, I think, also to pull the team together for another round of bonding before they make that final playoff push. And, um, you know, this is the third extended trip of the season for this football team. As you remember, we spent 10 days together at the Greenbrier. We're all getting to know each other very well, by the way. Um, But anyway, so we spent 10 days at the Greenbrier. Then we had a week in Philadelphia, and now we have this. And we, this morning, me, you, and our friend Chris Easterling from the Akron Beacon Journal, we just walked over to the practice fields from our uh, apartment that we're staying in, which is an amazing spot here in Westwood Village, cutest little town. Uh, So we just walked over to the practice practice fields. It took us, what, about 20 minutes to get Maybe, there? and we were going pretty slow, yeah. Yeah, we were strolling. We strolled <laughs> over to the practice fields, um, which is, you know, right at the UCLA, cam- UCLA campus, right in the heart of the campus over there. Very, very cool. So that's what's going to be happening. The Browns, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, practicing at UCLA. Um, they are staying in Beverly Hills, and at their hotel, they're having meetings, and they also have a workout room set up over there. So, um, you know, that's basically the gist of it, was to come out here, eliminate some of the travel, and then I think also method to Kevin's madness, do a little more bonding. Yeah, I think people need to understand. They really probably packed up. As I said, we're sitting outside. This feels like we're in Berea, actually, with all the trucks. <laughs> all we need is a train to come by. Yep. Um, they had to pack up, like, that facility and ship it all out here. They probably had a big truck that made the trip to drive out while they were in Denver. Um, so they've had to move a lot here. So this was an undertaking. And speaking of Chris, we went to grab breakfast this morning. And as we were walking back, I said to him, what do you think the benefit of this is besides reducing travel, besides the time zones? Like, do you think there's any benefit to this? And the more I've thought about it, I think my answer to that question would be, this has been a long season. They started two weeks early because of the Hall of Fame, and Kevin even minimized that. He cut down the off-season program. He started a little bit later than some other teams have started, um, but they still started early. They've been going at this for a while. Their bye was in week five. I mean, we're, we're feeling it, and we're just writers. We're feeling that grind of not having had a bye or even a Thursday night game and a mini-bye. So I'm sure the players are feeling it. So maybe coming out here, 
in the sun, getting away from, you know, the families or whoever else is at home, like just being away from everything and focusing on football, that's probably a good reset for some of these guys. It really is. I mean, just the weather alone, because now they're getting to the point where it's hard to practice outside on the practice fields. There's snow from what we're hearing. There's snow back home right now in some areas, I guess. And, you know, (laughs) I I guess I wouldn't know I'm not there (laughs) right now. I have the sun beating down on me. Sorry to say for those people at home shoveling snow. Um, but it starts to get a little bit difficult to practice outside. You know, guys need a little change of scenery, a little pick me up and, um, you know, and, and to get out here in this weather, you know, just have, you know, have some sunshine, see some different things. I mean, it's it's done us a world of good, right? I mean, we're walking around uh, this amazing little town of Westwood Village. It's it's really quaint. It's really cute. The UCLA, UCLA campus is just gorgeous. So I think it's going to be a little bit of an emotional boost for a football team right now that is so banged up. I mean, yeah. they're so banged up. I mean, they've got Nick Chubb out here on crutches. They've got Deshaun Watson out here that they're going to check in with after he had his surgery last week. They've got Amari Cooper with painful ribs. They've got Miles Garrett dealing with the shoulder. And, um, you know, I think this is this is a nice little gig. Uh, if you have to be somewhere in November, not a bad place to be. Yeah, and, I mean, we have seen, you know, I think the 49ers have, like, gone to New York and stayed at the Greenbrier and gone to Miami. It's like, we've seen teams do things like this, and so some of it is that convenience. But I really do think there's a benefit to how long this season has felt and the fact that they're not really going to get a break again for, who knows, however far they go into the playoffs. Kind of being out here, they can make it feel, it's just different to not have to go into the same facility every day and, and the same locker room and the same meeting rooms and this just... It breaks up that that grind that these guys just aren't going to be able to get away from. So I, I I think that's I think that's one of the underrated benefits to this. Not just the bonding, but just like hey, we're not going into that same building every stinking day in the same weight room and like because football seasons. I mean, these guys are going in there six seven days a week. It turns into a grind, and when you don't have that break, or when you had your break, what was it? Is it two months ago now at this point? Mm-hmm. Like, and not another one in sight. It's just a mental, like I said, it's a mental reset, I think. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, the the thing is, when you, you know, when you think about something like this, uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of guys, even Joel was joking around that, you know, you're away from your kids, you know, it it depends on where you're at in your life, how you want to do something like this or not. Uh, But I think once you get here, you know, there is sometimes something to be said for maybe not having to deal with scraped knees and boo-boos and waking up in the middle of the night and you know what I mean so you know this is not a trip for them uh, to go out and party and run into their celebrity friends in LA and and Miles Garrett addressed that a little bit on Friday and he said he thinks everybody is pretty locked in and they understand the assignment they understand the goals there are temptations out here there are temptations for me (laughs) out here Dan we might get to that Um, but you know, it, it really is, you know, just come together, like, let's bring it in boys. Let's bring it in and have, you know, just a, a real close knit bonding time. I am going to throw a Lance Rison style question at you before we're done. Okay. Okay. But, um, anyway, let's talk about what we talk about all the time, but it's relevant because it, it's the starting quarterback, Joe Flacco, we're, we aren't going to be at practice until Wednesday, um, 
maybe by the time you've heard this, we've gotten a chance to see practice. But, you know, we don't know the plan yet. We haven't heard from Kevin since Monday. But I don't know, Mary Kay. It still feels like this is going to be Joe Flacco's Browns debut this week. Yeah, and, and I think it should be. I mean, I absolutely think it should be. I'm getting ready to, um, if I can buckle myself down today, <laughs> I'm getting right, ready to write a take on that. Uh, I think even if Dorian is cleared tomorrow, and you know what? Stranger things have happened. Stranger things have happened. Even if he's cleared tomorrow, no. Let Joe Flacco start this game. Yeah. And some of my rationale for that is the fact that Dorian Thompson-Robinson took a vicious hit, okay? And he's a rookie. There's a difference between coming back from something like that as a longtime seasoned veteran and a rookie taking a big, big shot like that. And if you don't get to practice all week and you have to be limited and then go back out there and do this all over again, that can be a little bit dicey. So I wouldn't put him in that situation. The other thing, Dan, is that there is some weird disconnect right now going on between him and his pass catchers. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Except for said. Except for said, his high school former teammate from Bishop Gorman High in Las Vegas. Um, so because he doesn't, it's not like they're going to be sacrificing timing and chemistry, right? Yeah. Well, and he, he's not even going to be able to practice. No. Like, even if he clears protocol, it, I mean, like you said, maybe it happens by Wednesday. But I would imagine even if he clears, it's not going to happen until Friday. Right. So that option seems to be, you know kind of off the table, at least from a practice standpoint. And then P.J. Walker? No. You know what? Here's the thing about P.J. Walker. Scrappy player who held it together under trying circumstances and did what he needed to do uh, in his three appearances to keep the Browns afloat and to keep the playoff train chugging along. He did a nice job. Uh, He was, for the most part, you know, a compliment to the defense in some of those games, okay? But the truth of the matter is, he's turning the ball over too much. And nobody can do that right now. Nobody can tolerate that. That's not what they need. That is not what they need. One touchdown, five interceptions, two lost fumbles, a sack for a safety. I mean, these things can't be happening. What they need right now is clean football. They need clean football. Now, is Joe Flacco a tremendous option right now? No, he's not a tremendous option. He just showed up on the doorstep last week. And as I said yesterday, he's been playing small football with his six, seven, eight-year-olds. I mean, no, this is not a perfect situation. But he did play some football. He started a game for the Jets in January. You know, okay, so that's whatever, 10 months ago. But he's got so much football under his belt that he can go out there and start a game. As we mentioned, I think, yesterday as well. Joshua Dobbs got traded to the Vikings and went out and started a game that week. It can be done. So I think it will be done, and I think it should be done this week. Yeah, and it's that downfield explosive passing. Um, I rewatched the game a little bit today while I was writing, and it's just there's nothing downfield right now. And that's So you have this great receiver in Amari Cooper, and you're just not able to maximize him because DTR is not able to get the ball down the field with any kind of consistency. So... You know, his A dot was up a little bit this week. I looked that up on, on PFF, but it still wasn't anything impressive. I think it was like eight yards, something like that. Um, that's average depth of target. So, you know, you've got to start getting the ball downfield. And listen, Joe might turn the ball over a little. That is one, like, he might turn the ball over a little, but he's going to give you an explosive element to the passing game that you just don't have right now with DTR. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I'm I'm guessing that the... Um, 
that the Rams, that a large part of their game plan would be to try to get to Joe and hit him. Because he hasn't been hit. He hasn't been hit in 10 months. And we've talked to guys enough now to know that there is something to that. Like, you have to learn again how to how to wear those pads, how to take that blow. And he hasn't done that in, in you know, a long time. So, you know, the Rams are going to try to hit him. Now, the good part about it for the Browns is that they have a good offensive line. Yeah. is playing really well. Um, Jerron Christian is, you know, he has his moments, but he's playing pretty well. So, for the most part, you've got an offensive line that should be able to protect Joe Flacco, who, as we know, is not the mobile quarterback that these guys have been used to blocking for this season. It's right. a completely different style pocket passer. But they know how to play with a pocket passer, okay? They've had them before here. Jacoby Brissett, to a certain extent, was more like that. So I think they'll be okay from that standpoint. It's just a matter of what kind of game plan can they give uh, to Joe Flacco that, you know, that works for everybody and that he can handle and manage without turning the ball over because that's job number one. Yeah, and I mean, like, I think... Sometimes it's easy to forget this, but like, so Kareem Hunt comes back. Now he comes back in the middle of the season, so practices are not as physical. But at least they can put some pads on. And I don't know if they did use padded practices before he played the first week or not, but at least there's some contact that he can take. Quarterbacks don't get touched, period. Like, even if Joe Flacco had been here in training camp, he wouldn't have gotten touched or hit in training camp. Outside of preseason games, these guys don't get touched in practice. Um, So even to that, like, it's not... Quarterback is just different. When Deshaun Watson came back, he hadn't been hit since. I mean, he played he played that preseason game in Jacksonville. That was the first time he got hit since Houston in 2020. So it is different, and we saw how Deshaun struggled. And like you said, Joe's going to get hit because he's not running away from people. Well, you know what they should do, Dan. When we just walked over to the practice fields over at UCLA, what they should do today on the off day is just put Joe in some pads out there today. <laughs> we peeked through the fence, I'm gonna not going to lie. You tweeted a picture, so there's no, picture. Yeah, there's no secrets. So they should put Joe in some pads over there, and then, you know, they could bring, they, they don't want to bring Miles because he's kind of hurting right now, but bring Oboe over there and just <laughs> have him knock the crap out of Joe a couple times so he can feel what it's like to take I a hit. Put him in one of those suits that they put, like, when they train the police dogs, <laughs> put him in one of those suits and, like, do make it a charity thing. Like, bring in, like, a youth yeah. football team and let him, hey, guys, go hit Joe Flacco. Yeah, because, I mean, you really don't want his first hit to be from Aaron Dunn. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, do you want that? No. 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 But that's really the reality of what's going to happen. And he just has to be. But he's been around like, this is his 16th season. He's been hit by Aaron and everybody else in the NFL a number of times. So, uh, you know, if, if anybody can get thrown into a game, it's got to be Joe. Okay, this is my Lance question. Are okay. you ready? Yes, I'm ready. So I was thinking about this. We got this Airbnb here. So let's say we have a party. And you are allowed to invite any celebrity you want. And they're going to come. And it's just fun level. We're just talking fun level. Okay. Who's the most fun celebrity? Or who's the person you would want here for our, for our party? Do they have to be fun? Can they just be good looking? I, guess, I mean, I guess you can use whatever standard you want. <laughs> you can use whatever standard you want. I'm just, I'm looking for a good time. All right. Um, okay. And it's only one person. Only one. I can only invite can I, can one. I, I mean, I think I know who I would invite. Okay, why don't you tell me who you would invite? Well, first of all, we're in a college town. 
Yeah. So we're right in his wheelhouse. Okay. Leo. This Leo Di Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio? Yeah. That's who I was gonna say. No. Yes. Okay. Well see for very different reasons. Uh, yes, for very that's why I asked if good looking could be one of the criteria. Who wouldn't that, want to have Leo at their that party? That is so funny. That's exactly who I would invite to the party. Um, but from a, you know, from another standpoint, just in terms of, let's invite a few people while okay. we're at it, okay? And maybe when we do the pod with with Chris and yeah, Scott, we actually should save this for for them yeah. and get some of their suggestions. Scott would have. Yeah. Scott's got a list. I know that already. But just for fun, I mean, we're in L.A. I would invite a Kardashian just for fun. Yeah, I would, I and, it, and it would be Chloe because she's my <laughs> favorite. So, um, but yes, Leo is going to be my first choice. Wow. How about that? That's really bizarre. We're on the same page. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, it is what it is. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're not going to have Leo at our Airbnb, I, I don't think. You never know. Um, you never know. It could happen. Maybe he t- takes a wrong turn. I mean, like I said, this is, just to reiterate, we're in a college town, right in Leo's wheelhouse. He might be cruising around. Dreams do come true, Dan. And you know what else? There are um, Browns fans that are celebrities. So, you know, stranger things have happened than somebody attending our little party here, the Westwood (laughs) Village. True. Okay. Uh, We are going to take a break. On the other side, you're going to hear from Ashley Bastock and Lance Risen. They're going to look back on the Broncos game. And welcome back from the break. Your ears are not deceiving you. This is not Dan Lobby. This is Ashley Bastock with Dan and Mary Kay. Finish that segment from L.A. I am here with our Lance Reisland before I go to L.A. in a few days. And Lance, number one, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, Ashley. How are you? I'm doing great. A little under the weather. Like folks can probably could probably hear it after the post game pod. I don't know what the altitude did to my sinuses, folks, but not a hundred percent. But you know, there's there's still plenty I know that we want to talk about from that game, especially like looking forward, because let's be real, I don't know about you, Lance, but to me it feels like a game like that one where they lose by 17. Like, there's nothing to do other than be like, Yeah, we got our butts kicked and we we just gotta go on to the next one at this point. Yeah, you know, when you, we've been there. So you just, you played poorly and, you know, long season in the NFL and there's there's a reason there's only one, been one undefeated team, uh, you know, in the history is because it's really hard. It's hard to get up each week. It's hard to travel. There's a lot of things that make it really, really tough. Uh, Denver's playing very well. Sean, Sean is a really good offense coordinator. Uh, they played well defensively. Uh, they just gave the the Browns fits, and, you know, and you can say whatever you want, but the Browns, the Browns have the injury bug is next level for the Browns right now, and, and they're gonna, they're, I think they're doing a fantastic job of fighting through that, but eventually it kind of caught up with them, and they got to kind of get these guys, these new guys going, and and they will, and they do always do a great job of that, but these injuries, they didn't play well, and these injuries are not helping. Yeah, I definitely think that injuries are just the story of this team right now, and I know that's something Dan and I have talked about. Um, But I think because of that, the number one question that a lot of fans want to know is, are we going to see Joe Flacco on Sunday? I mean, I would be surprised if we don't, but I was also surprised he wasn't even, you know, elevated or active for this past game. But, you know, I think it's fair to say we're going to see Joe Flacco at some point here pretty soon, especially with Dorian Thompson Robinson in the concussion protocol. So Lance, I know you've been watching him. So what, what were some of the things you watched and and what did you see from Joe Flacco, especially last year when he was still in New York? 
Well, obviously you got a guy who's thrown, you know, has almost 4,000 completions and has thrown for 42,000 yards and 232 career touchdowns. So he's got a ton of experience, right? So when you get with that experience comes the ability to process what you're seeing. So that's the first thing you see. I, I really liked his game last year, even though I, I wanted to watch the game where he threw two interceptions, which is against Cincinnati, but he did a lot of really, really good things. He did a, really, a lot of good things uh, throughout uh, his time, his five starts last year, I thought. So um, he's got a, like I said, he's got a ton of experience that he really processes well. Uh, the different, the the key for me is going to be how does he fit in with this new scheme that kind of the Browns are doing with, you know, with Watson and DTR and these guys who have really good feet because um, he doesn't have really good feet. Um, the Jets did some really interesting things. I think the Browns can get into a little bit, but um, processes very well, can make all the NFL throws. Uh, you know, I, I can see if he's in the Browns being an empty a little bit more just because it gives him the ability to process and, and take what he wants. But, uh, yeah, I, feel, I I think he's got a lot of experience. I think, you know, if football is football, so it's high lows, it's, you know, uh, over and unders, in, in and outs. And, you know, there's it's the terminology, but he can make all the throws and he'll know what he's doing when he's in there. Yeah, I mean, and it just seems to like when you have a guy with all that experience, like they're going to be able to pick up on that terminology faster. And and just like the basic concepts, it's like second nature to them at a certain point. But, but I mean, you touched on it there. Like he is obviously a very different type of quarterback than Deshaun Watson is. So what are some things that they can maybe do, you know, to, to mitigate that? to help things along, to help them get the football downfield in, in terms of using his strengths, even though they might be different. Well, that's the thing. He can, he can vertically rip the ball. He's got a really strong arm. You know, the, this, the key is still to protect the defense. And that sounds kind of weird, but I said it with Dan a, a bunch uh, besides, you know, players over plays and things like that. But if you end every possession in a kick, you got a chance. And obviously last week they didn't play very well because every end it, it didn't end in a kick. So if you ended a punt, an extra point or field goal, you got a chance to win the game with this Browns defense because they're so good. Uh, but like anything else, you got to put them in good positions. You got to score points too. That you can only hold teams down so much. Uh, you know, one of the things I see the Browns getting into with with Flacco is a little bit more thirteen personnel, and the reason why is because I think Njoku, Bryant, uh, and Akins they are vertical threats as well. So Stefanski has always done such a good job of depending on what personnel you get. You know, if they go nickel, you get in three tight end sets and you run the ball with that really good offensive line. If they come in and base personnel, you can get in empty and do some two by one, two by two and uh, three by two stuff. So uh, I think uh, 13 personnel is really, really good, not just to run the ball. Um, but also to get into sets, depending on what defensive personnel you're going to do. Uh, I think they got to run the ball. They got to be committed to running the ball. They got to shorten the game a little bit. Um, they got to take some shots with max protection. You know, when you look at some of those levels concepts, instead they, they can't rely on him getting outside the pocket. They got to block it. And there's ways to do that. So I, I think, you know, they got a chance because he's such a veteran and can make all the throws. Uh, I think that 13 personnel is good. And they got, as always, they got to end it with a kick. So let's like expand on this a little bit, because we we know it's not just the injuries to their quarterbacks that the Browns have dealt with this year. You know, assuming Joe Flacco does start, he's going to be the fourth different starting quarterback that this team has had this season, which is pretty remarkable that they have a winning record when you consider that. But this is also a team that's playing without its number one running back in Nick Chubb right now. You know, I, terms of their receivers it sounds like Amari Cooper is is day to day that could have been a lot worse but he's another guy who you watched him last year play banged up with a core muscle injury their offensive line is really banged up 
right now. They don't have, you know, the Dwan Jones just worked his way back in, but they of course lost all pro right tackle Jack Conklin in the first game of the season. Jed Wills is still out. So besides 13 personnel, like how do you effectively move the ball, especially on the ground, you know, and, and get that kind of, you know, complimentary football going on the, just the offensive side to not rely too heavily on, you know, your game on the ground or the pass game here. Well, you're going to rely well, up front. You're going to rely on Callahan a lot. You know, you, if you go, you know, being at camp with you guys the last couple of years, you know, I always enjoy going down there. And the thing is those guys are a machine. So they're the people they put in. That's why the Froholtz of the world, that's why these guys who have gone in, they've had success because they have a system down there and that system works. They're a physical bunch and they have a, a process uh, that they go through with all those guys. So I think they have tremendous confidence in whoever goes in. That being said, it's easier to run the ball. It's easier to be nasty and run the ball a little bit. Uh, and when you do that, it shortens the game. I also think when you run the ball, you can get play action. Now, you're not going to get the outside zone boot where you fake the boot and you're sprinting out, but you could do power boot where you're faking it and you're setting up in the pocket. So I still think they're going to do a lot of play action. It's just going to look a little different. It's not going to be breaking the pocket. It's going to be a pocket-centered play action where they're going to fake the run and set that pocket with a six- and seven-man protection, uh, You know, especially on early downs to maybe take some shots. Uh, you, cause you could take some shots without having to go through a lot of reads, you know, in terms of like vertical threats. So, um, I still think they're going to do what they do. Uh, I always feel I'm, I'm a big believer in Stefanski's ability to design plays and, you know, everybody had an issue, um, you know, with him not running the ball last or, you know, run the ball last week. Well, I really didn't, um, would I have liked him to run the ball? Sure. But for me, he has a plan. You don't have to like the plan, but the only bad plan is not having one. And I don't think you can ever go into a game saying he doesn't have a plan on what he wants to do. He's the head coach. He gets to make that decision. Um, we can all disagree with it, but I like the idea that there's always a plan. So, yeah, I think they'll have a great plan for Flacco. They know they have to protect him. They know he doesn't move outside the pocket. They know they have to run the football. they got to take some play-action shots. they got to be able to um, – they got to keep the chains, right? So now they got to be second and four, second and five. They can't be behind the sticks. Uh, if they get behind the sticks, run the ball twice and punt it. You know, because that's your best chance. And, you know, and if you stay above the sticks, then maybe take some shots. But um, by no means, this is this is a, this is a bad game. They're still in the hunt. They just got to play. They just got to get back to, you know, and these guys who have been hurt, like you're saying, you know, not only are they not playing, but they're not practicing. So they're not getting mm-hmm. reps. They're not getting the work. And that's where that's where sports are won is in practice. And those guys aren't getting the work. Now, maybe these guys behind now are going to get a little work and they're going to get they're going to get more work um, than they've even got before. So they should be better and better. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that's like the number one thing I think I've seen on social media. And maybe this is on me for expecting to find nuance on X, formerly known as Twitter, because that doesn't exist there. But there's been so much complaining about the lack of touches or the perceived lack of touches, I should say. And the turnover at the beginning of the fourth quarter, the play call on that with having Elijah Moore pitch the ball to Peter Strong. And Dan actually led his takeaways with this. And I agree 100%. I think that's so overblown. I think it's like nitpicking at something that ultimately didn't sway the game to me. What did sway the game to me was the sloppiness and the turnover. So yes, you can be mad at that turnover on that Elijah Moore attempted reverse but I don't think it's like fair to blame it on Stefanski entirely because they did just turn the ball over a ton against this team and not even turn up. Like they fumbled it five times and luckily they recovered two of them, but they really lost it five times. Yeah, that's the thing. So you want to control the controllables, right? So you got to be those offsides penalties, the the holdings, the um, those things that you can kind of control. Those are the things you, that you get angry about, the sloppiness, like you said, the inability uh, on a handoff. Obviously, you're going to make some bad throws. You're going to do some things. But just the, the overall 
um, clock management, things like that, you know, that the player should be able to do. You know, I've, that's a very organized practice down there. When you go down to watch a Browns practice, it is a very organized. Those guys know what they're doing. There's nothing that's done uh, not not with a, a purpose. So uh, I just think they got to get back to it. Like you said, I'm not a big I, – I, the, the reverse doesn't bother me. These are pro athletes. They should be able to handle the reverse. They got to know if their number's called uh, it's a bad play. And that happens. And again, um, there's there's a reason he ran that play when he ran it, and that makes it okay to me. It doesn't mean it has to work. It doesn't mean uh, you need a new play caller. It doesn't mean the panic. You know, as good as they were the week before, they they weren't as bad this week. It's just they got to get back on track, and they got to get back to having some healthy guys to practice. Okay, let's switch over to the other side of the ball, Lance, and tell me, you know, watching that game, what did Sean Payton do? against this defense to be so successful because you kind of notice last two weeks now these teams have had some success running against this defense more than anything but it seemed like they were kind of you know almost like I wondered if it was almost like what Todd Munkin did or similar concepts like in that week four loss to Baltimore well when you texted today it was funny because I was like all right I'm gonna go back and watch it one more time so I went back and watched and what they're really doing is it is kind of a, a Todd Munkin now they did a little bit differently but if you look at like inside zone and the traps inside and the kickouts on the counters and things like that, what they're doing is they're, they're it's a vertical attack. So how do you attack speed guys? Well, you don't try to block, go side to side, you go right at them. So what these teams are doing now, even on their inside zone, everything is vertical. There's no, uh, you know, and when you're running inside zone, you're trying to get some horizontal movement and some vertical movement at the same time. What they're doing now, because the Browns are so fast, is they're just going right at them. And so that's the first thing the teams are doing. And Munkin kind of, uh, you know, did that first. But they are saying, we're going to let you come up field a little bit. We're going to kick you out. Uh, and then these double teams are straight vertical double teams. There's no sidestepping where the Browns can penetrate through a gap. It's just a vertical smash, isolation, uh, very physical style. Um, because these Browns guys are used to penetrating gaps. And, and what they're doing is the offensive line is cutting their splits a little bit. Uh, they're not leaving as big a gaps. Uh, you know, watching the all 22 and they're just vertically getting after them. And, you know, those offensive linemen are, are, are getting sick in here and how good the Browns defensive line is. And they're, they're practicing well and they're coming up with a plan too. So it's just a matter of adjustments. The Browns will get back to what they do. Um, I don't think they have to change much in my opinion, but that was the first thing they did is that they just ran right at them. Yeah. And I know you texted us during the game on Sunday. And I remember, and I knew you talked about this after that Ravens loss. you and I talked about this. There were certain plays, and I remember seeing one of not to single Jordan Elliott out, but it was of Jordan Elliott where sometimes, can you explain to people like getting getting your hands as a defensive lineman on the offensive line so that they can't immediately disrupt the Browns linebackers and how important that is for this defense? Well, if you look at the one play where uh, they ran a trap, like an old school high school trap where they're going to leave the three technique, so they're going to not block um, Jordan Elliott. And Jordan Elliott, the guard's on him. That guard is going to go to the linebacker. Now, if Jordan Elliott just goes upfield and thinks he's going to make a play, the other guard will come and kick him out. What ends up happening is because Jordan Elliott doesn't get his hand on that guard going to the linebacker, that linebacker gets an easy, easy uh, lane and just killed JOK on that play. So what that defensive line has got to do is he's got to, they always have to get their hands on. Shelby Harris does a great job of it. You cannot just always penetrate a gap, especially on early downs, because that's what ends up happening. They let the guy, they let Jordan, uh, Elliot come up field and that guard went to the backer. Then the other guy kicked him. Now they block both because Jordan Elliott didn't get his hands on that guy. And that really hurt them. Uh, especially again, another run that was right now, fast, vertical, right at him, quick, uh, not letting the other guys run around and make plays. 
All right, Lance, you know, it's a season and a lot of stuff blends together for me in terms of what day of the week it is, podcast, etc. So do you normally have a question for Dan on today's podcast? Am I putting you on the spot and asking for uh, one of your classic Lance questions here? Is that no, normally no. reserved for the preview pod? No, we do it now. So my question today would be, what are the top three Christmas traditions? Oh, uh, what are the t- what are your top three or what are the top three Christmas traditions starting from Thanksgiving? All the way through Christmas. I like this. Let me think about this for a minute. Um, Have you thought of any for you? Like what your top three would be? Yeah, mine is, well, obviously with my daughter, my, the the first one now is obviously Christmas morning. Just the idea of her getting up. Yeah. Um, Second is lights. Traditional drive around the car. And and I'm not, and I'm not a big, uh, like. I like the zoo lights and, you know, the, the the big lights. I like to just drive around neighborhoods and seeing some lights. So just like not the got to go to somewhere where they're, you know, you got to pay entry. No, just drive around and see yeah. some lights. I like um, that. And then uh, I would say uh, at some point it's got to be building a snowman, right? I mean, you got to oh, build a snowman. Oh, that's a good gotta, one too. Classic. You got to build, build a snowman. So I'd say those are my top yeah. three. Yeah, you know, Christmas morning might honestly be like my top one too. Like just it just is. Like it's the it's what you think of, I think, when you think of Christmas. My other good one is this is not a family one, but my me and my five like best friends from home, we've done gingerbread houses every ah. year for the last like ten plus years. And they've gotten more we do gingerbreads and pumpkins. Those are like our things. Um so it's like, it's just like become our thing. They get more and more intricate every year. Like we're probably to the point that we should just bake our own gingerbread and build them from scratch, but we still buy the kits. And I'll tell you what, you have to like, if you don't follow me on Instagram, I think I normally post them on my Twitter too, but you could go back on my Instagram for years and see all of our houses. So I think to me, building gingerbread houses, I would do that over snowmen because I don't have to get super cold to do that one. Uh, yep. Yeah, see, that's what I'm looking. That's what that's what yeah. you're looking for. They're, they're, Christmas cookies are good. I you know that was that's my Christmas cookies mention. are great. Yeah, that's a great one. Um, how about candy canes in general? Yeah, Just candy, candy canes as a concept. Peppermint, everything peppermint that you can get. Um, I also love this. Is I'll throw some sports in there because obviously I played basketball, which most of the regular listeners probably know. And my cousin Bree who she's like my cousin I'm I'm closest with before she also played basketball so we love like just watching NBA games at her grandma's mm-hmm. house my great aunt and uncle's house I'll just go over there and we'll just watch the NBA games that day. Cause God, and you know, I've had to work the last handful of Christmases or, you know, two years ago we did get to go to Lambeau field and watch the Browns play the Packers. Unfortunately a loss, but it was really cool to see Lambeau. But I I will say, you know, I'm an NFL writer. I feel like the NBA still owns the Christmas day games. I don't know if the NFL can catch up there quite honestly. Yeah. You know what? And it's one of those days, obviously I'm a football guy, but I like watching basketball on Christmas day Uh, again, kind of a tradition and it leading up to it. I love bowl season. I like all the bowl games, you know, you know, throw throw the bowl game on when you're doing stuff around the house. I can watch some bowl game. You know what else I like? I like, I like making, uh, um, stuffing waffles. <laughs> okay. Lance, I know that was a- Dan told me that my jaw for people who didn't listen, Lance, explain <laughs> it one more time what you do with your Thanksgiving leftovers for people who I'm telling missed you, it during the holiday. I'm telling you, it didn't get it didn't get popular response. Dan maybe thought it was okay. Um, but you take your uh, you take your leftover uh, waffles, and what do you do is you put them in a uh, waffle. I mean, your leftover stuffing. For you put stuffing. them in a waffle. Yeah, there we go. Stu- stu- stuffing. You put them in the waffle maker, and you make uh, 
what I like to do is make those would be my buns. So the two waffles. So I have a waffle bun uh, made of stuffing, and then it's my turkey sandwich. It's absolutely it's a it's an absolute game changer. I can understand the thought process, but to me personally, <laughs> for someone who does not cook a single thing on Thanksgiving, it's a lot of work for me to pull out that waffle iron and put the stuffing in there. Now, my uncle makes great homemade like stuffing, and that's actually mm. the only stuffing I'll eat. I think stuffing has to be homemade. Like, do not give me stove yeah. top. I don't want it. Um, so I could that would hold up, I think, really well. I understand the vision, even though for me. The laziness in the kitchen is just not going to allow me to try this. I'm going to have to take your word for it. Maybe next year you can send us a picture of it um, right, so we can get the full visual. But I, Absolutely. Oh, man. Well, great. So I'm sure you, you're going to have to ask Dan for his Christmas traditions on Friday. He's going to listen to this part of the podcast. So we'll have time to prepare and probably think of better answers than what I had. But, you know, we're going to leave this here for right now. Lance, you'll be back on the preview pod. I'll be back on the preview pod as well. So for Lance, Dan... Mary Kay, I'm Ashley Bastock. Thanks for listening, everybody.